Football Nation Radio. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Hello again, George Danikin joining Lockie Flanagan in the studios of FNR in Melbourne. And we're hoping to go via Zoom to catch up with um, someone who's... uh, should be getting pretty excited this time of the year. Oh, I think we should all be getting pretty excited yeah, this no, time but of the year, Yeah, this is extra special because not only does she have a number of uh, key positions, but she, if you think about it long and hard, and the, and the she I'm talking about in this case is Sarah Ann Walsh from Football Australia. And let me just read you this intro because it never ceases to amaze me. Head of Women's Football... Women's World Cup Legacy and Inclusion. And just last November, Sarah was uh, appointed co-chair of the inaugural National Indigenous Advisory Group of Football Australia. So she should be buoyant. I'm, I'm waiting for her to smile. She, yeah, there you it is. There's a smile. Haven't been, you haven't Sarah, been looking hard welcome. enough, <laughs> Well done. Great to have you on board. Thank you for joining us uh, at Great short notice because it's been a very busy week for a whole lot of Football people for a great number of reasons, and most of it to do with um, a season starting, an Australia Cup uh, just about at that gorgeous phase. Uh, It's the final, what is it, the round of 32? Yes, it starts tonight. And there are games across Australia. So it truly is not only uh, a national knockout tournament, but uh, as each and every venue lights up and the stories. And don't they? And don't they have some great stories coming out from all manner of uh, different places, from Darwin, uh, Sydney, um, uh, Melbourne. We'll be talking to someone who's the new chair of Central Coast Mariners very shortly, and he's very he's very excited because his team, Central Coast Mariners, are getting ready to take on Sydney FC, which won't be easy. But Sarah, welcome. You've got a thousand things to talk to us about, and one of the things I want to ask you straight out of the box is. Will there be a women's Australia Cup? It's a it's a very good question, I, and I know that our CEO James Johnson has talked about a number of different um, points last year and this year. So uh, it's definitely an aspiration for us to to create one, um, particularly given the excitement around the Women's World Cup and um, and all the other developments within the women's game. Um, a bit to work through in terms of the overall women's domestic match calendar to practically make that work, given the um, the significant crossover crossover of players between the uh, women's MPL and yeah. the uh, mm. Liberty A League. But can you imagine? The, oh, it'd be fantastic. <laughs> but also with the extension of the Liberty A League, I think we're moving closer to being able to make that happen. Um, with more match minutes for that. So I think that we'll start to see a, a more aligned match calendar like the men's for the women, and then we'll be able to, I guess, finish the year off, the calendar, the season, women's season off with a Australia Cup for women's, which is super exciting. Uh, it is exciting. Look, we're, I'm watching the European Championships, and the, the women's game is 
there there have been some fantastic uh, contests and some awesome goals scored and won this morning that uh, the British will be talking about. Sorry, the English will be talking mm. about for the next yeah, no, hundred, don't, next don't hundred throw years. My, my Scottish lot in. No, 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 I won't <laughs> let that happen. <laughs> Lockie, Lockie, whenever I I say England, he just squirms a little in his seat because it's the it's <laughs> the Scottish heritage, but. <laughs> You must be thrilled a bit to be seeing the women's game, not only in this country but around the world, really starting to pick up, uh, not only in numbers, in ratings, but in excitement. Absolutely. The the record crowds is just a uh, another indicator that women's football is on the rise. Um, we've seen a significant number of uh, attendance at matches, particularly in Spain previously. Now we're seeing that across the board in, in Europe and particularly um, in this tournament, um, the UEFA tournament now. So, um, you know, we actually had – we have Ellie Carpenter in the country and we had an event to celebrate uh, one year to go until the Women's World Cup next year and um, she was talking about having lived the excitement and, and the, the increase in interest, particularly over at Olympic Lyonnais, and um, she just said that, you know, there's such a buzz and anticipation for how big this tournament will be next year off the back of all this increased interest over the last, you know, couple of years since the last World Cup. And, I mean, we're expecting 60,000 unique visitors here next year for the Women's World Cup. And, um, you know, we have 32 matches. So the, the event itself is much bigger than the 2019 one. They're expecting 1.5 billion viewers so, you know, we're already talking about um, tickets, tickets going on sale soon, um, really great prices for families. Uh, we're going to see some packed out uh, matches, not just for the Matildas, but across the board. So the draw in October, I'm super excited to see what that might look like over the length of the tournament. But um, there's no doubt we're going to see uh, record crowds and you know, for Australia to be a part of that, it's super exciting. You mentioned Ellie, Ellie Carpenter. Uh, she's had, of course, a, a major sporting injury. Uh, how is she getting about and how does she look? Now, you're a, uh, you're a former Matilda. Sorry, you are a Matilda. You, 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 no, I'm for, a former. No, no, you're a former <laughs> member of the Matildas, but you'll always yeah, yeah. be a Matilda. Um, so for me, you know what it takes to get back from injury. Um, how does she look? How do, how, what, she, what is she saying or what do you get a sense? Will she be ready? Yes. I think. Um, oh wow, that's look, great. Well, I think she's. Uh, I'm obviously not her doctor, but I, you know, we had some really lovely chats um, when I spent some time with her. She's, you know, she's she's very young, and I think one of the challenges. I actually did three knee reconstructions by age 18, which <laughs> a lot of people don't know about, and uh, we were just discussing how you know you forget the progress you've made when you just have a bad day, and she said she's had a couple bad days, and I said, you know, you can. Um, create a diary for yourself because you you read back five pages to see that you couldn't walk, you know. Uh, and when you have a hiccup when you're running, you know they're just really good reminders. So what you reminded her of was perspective. P- perspective, that's right. But um, look, I think one of the challenges I had coming back from knee reconstructions, and I know that you know my performance and the support around this team is is um, much more advanced now, particularly in her club. She has all the support she, she needs. She, yeah. She's at home to get that mental support now for a period of time. But um, one of the challenges you have always is um, match fitness, having, you know, nine to 12 months off. But I think, you know, that's one of her strengths as a, as a player, her stamina, speed and simply her physique. I don't think that will be a challenge for her. So I think, you know, 
as long as everything goes well with her rehab, she should be okay. The timing's okay, so it's good. Sarah Walsh is our special guest on FNR's State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Lockie had a couple of questions for you, and I jumped in, and I apologise for that. But I was very keen to know, you said you had three knees. Uh, That's (laughs) incredible. What have we learnt in the time that you were playing and what we're seeing today, and how are our sporting science people preparing our women for, for, you know, for the challenges ahead? You know, because is the that, game is getting bigger. More matches are coming on. Mm. Uh, that that creates that wonderful, you know, and opportunity to get fit. And we have seen a bit of a fit. trend as well yeah, lately yeah. in that the occurrence of, uh, of these sort of severe yeah, injuries Yeah, well, we, as well. we saw it in a number of sports. Mm. The last thing we want to be seeing it in is our major competitions. So what, what have we learned? What have you learned, Sarah, that you, you could pass on or did pass on to Ellie? There's there's two parts to this. There's I would say, um, you know, if you if you park uh, research around women's ACL, yep, um, you know, and challenges around injuries, we park that for a sec. You simply can't um, compare my experience with Ellie's. You know, the, the just the there was no load management. There was absolutely no um, you know no full time high performance programs that I was a part of until the back end of my career. So, you know. We, Ellie is thought about uh, through the lens of um, club and national team over the period of four-year cycles now. You know, every single match, minute, everything she does, wow. uh, part of her day is thought about and scrutinised under the guise of a national team coach and, a, and her club coach. And, that, and there's always good friction and balance between that. But separate to that, there's just simply not a, enough research on women in high performance. Um, you know, for a long time, women have been treated like smaller men. <laughs> you know, um, thinking about our menstrual cycles, um, our hip, our hip, wow. um, stru- our bone structure. There is just not enough um, research mm-hmm. to to and and not a not enough years of research to be able to say, okay, well, this is what we need to do differently, um, because we're simply being treated like smaller men, and the more of that research is starting to take place with all this, and particularly in Europe, in the club system, in national team system, and I think. You know, only until we start to collate that over mm. a, a, a longer period of time will we know why we're having so many ACLs in the women's game. So, you know, with increased performance load management and supportive players, plus more research, I think we'll be in better place. But simply no one knows right now. Yeah, so qualitative and quantitative research mm, yep. required. Uh, Sarah, yeah. I, I, not to lean too heavily on, on George's own journalistic work, but I kind of wanted to take his question earlier about Ellie Carpenter and the steps she's taking and sort of extrapolate it to uh, to the Matilda squad as a whole because it is now, you know, one year out from our, you know, and Women's counting. World Cup on, and counting. Well, 364 yeah. days, we're being technical <laughs> about it, I guess. Correct. But h- how do you feel that the team as a whole is placed one year out from the World Cup. Obviously, we've seen some some mixed results as some of the youth get a chance to come through the senior Matildas setup. Yep. Yep. And as you mentioned, the sports science team manages the load of some of those key players. How do you feel the team is positioned at the moment? And what steps does it need to take from now until, you know, 364 days to, to put us in good stead to secure, um, you know, a, a, a pleasing or a, a, a good result at the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I guess the, the way that we view it is, 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 again, in two parts. One is what they're doing for their national team and two, what club environment um, they're spending their time in. And, you know, a good number of our players in are, in are in fantastic clubs where they're managed like superstars they are, like Sam Kerr, 
um, Caitlin Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these players in, in are in good clubs with, you know, they're, they're treated like very valued assets. So um, making sure that they're getting game time in those clubs, they're training and, um, you know, the structures around them whilst they're not under our um, – within Fair our view. program yeah, is yeah. really important. Um, we talk about 365 days to go. We actually only have five windows, uh, five home uh, win- sorry, windows uh, available to actually have them. So as we know, when they're playing in September against Canada. Canada, yeah. Um, we'll have this more is on the new. This is on the new stadium in Sydney, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So, wow. I mean, that's what's within the control of and, um, you know, planning uh, strategy of Football Australia is making sure that it, that the windows that we have available left, we're playing uh, good, strong opposition. Yeah. And obviously we've brought in the Olympic champions um, and we're thinking about uh, making sure that we have our strongest squad and, um, it was very challenging, obviously, playing Spain and Portugal. We we obviously would have loved to have had our strongest team. However, thinking about the mental and physical health of players um, over the, you know, the longer period up to the run into the, the Women's World Cup had to take precedent. So, you know, I think we'll see the benefits of that in September. We'll see freshened up players, players that are just going into pre-season, players that have had some mental time off. Uh, what people don't know, you know, Sam Kerr hadn't had a break in two years. Mm. We simply just had to prioritise that. So um, although we would have loved to have had our, our best squad, we, we couldn't make that happen. Um, there's obviously benefits in getting some match time and exposure for younger players. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, they get jaded. Now, now, we, now we're in business mode. Yeah, we're, yeah, they get, they get jaded. They, people don't realise that it, to, to be in that fitness zone that is at the elite level for two years yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you just, yeah. you just no, run the risk of burnout, any, really. We don't ask anybody else to do it, but we've, we've asked some of our yeah. some of our superstars. You, uh, you were saying, yeah. and, uh, and, if, and if there's not a load management issue, and then, which, you know, we start to see injuries, it's, I honestly don't think people talk enough about mental health. Correct. Um, and then overlay that with, with COVID, oh, yeah. um, some of our players haven't seen their families for long periods of time, and you, you, you really can't. Uh, quantify how yeah. how much that boosts the system of you know someone like Sam who got to spend some time home at home with the family. Yeah, well, we spoke to Milos Ninkovic last week, and uh, Milos hadn't seen his family in Serbia, you know, in years, Serbia yeah. for the better part of two and a half years. So, and he yeah. said what a, what a great relief it was, and what an opportunity yeah. for him and his wife to show their child to their grandparents for the first time. Extraordinary yeah, stuff. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So and, and it, it shows, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we have the um, Disney docuseries coming up and um, this is actually one of the, the key themes you'll get to see through this six-part series. Um, I don't know if people know this, but Tamika Yallop, who is a, a new mum, didn't see her newborn for seven months oh, gee. because she prioritised going to club football and finalising a contract there. Um, that's a long time. I, you know, I don't even know what that would feel like to not see <laughs> my one-year-old for Well, we know Tamika because... Uh... Uh, she's been a great part of the football family at the at the city club, and yeah. uh, I, I know her journey uh, overseas, her challenges, and her fantastic progress. And we're delighted for her. But uh, I understand that uh, that ordeal of having to play and not see the family for for seven years, mm-hmm. seven months. That's extraordinary. It is. So we're, we're gonna. I think these are the unique insights that that people get to see through this Disney docuseries i'm really excited by it because, when um, when does it release and when do we see it or, or where do we see it 
on Disney it's Channel, is it? It'll be released, Disney yeah, Disney, Disney Channel, Plus. So Disney Plus, yeah, yep. we, I believe it's Disney Plus, but it, it'll come out next year. The filming's still taking place for that. Um, wow, okay. You know, they they, they, they went to film uh, Ellie Carpenter, uh, obviously to get her Champions League medal, um, and they, they got that. They got her hopping across the pitch in a brace, <laughs> um, and they got a little bit extra, um, you know, picking up the surgery and – you know, there's some fascinating things, things you're going to see that, um, you know, uh, Ibrahim, oh, I can never say his name, Zlatan. Zlatan. Went, went, went under the knife. All you need to say is the first name. That's, that's right. He's one of the few people in the world. You just say his first lion. name. <laughs> the lion. The lion uh, went under the knife before her with the same surgeon, so we knew she was in good hands. Oh, that's wow. all. You know, Disney have picked that up. So, um, honestly, the level of commitment and sacrifice this team is, I, I don't think, you know, I don't even think I understand. We appreciate it. I, I didn't it, yeah. spend, no. So uh, what a really unique insight we'll get into the team in the lead up to the World Cup. Well, well, Sarah, as those important players do get that chance to uh, to rest and in some cases see their families, in other cases see their, their child for the first <laughs> time in seven months, uh, that that sort of thing, obviously, slowly but surely, the attention does turn, obviously, towards the World Cup. And I realised in my lead up to the question, I was I was a little bit vague about what I referred to as a as a pleasing result or or a passable result or something like that. Uh, internally at Football Australia and within the Matildas, do we have a sort of do you guys have a an ambition for what we consider to be uh, success for, for for the team at this tournament? Because it, it is a it is a hard one, obviously. Hosting that World Cup does always, I suppose, come with a, a certain expectation. You think? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> you think? honestly a lot. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, maybe, that's maybe no, putting no, it lightly. Sarah's going to tell you. Sarah's going to tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. You don't host yeah. something unless you think you can do very, very well, and that's. But what, but sure. what does okay, internally very doing very, very well uh, look like to, to Football Australia and to the to the Matildas? Yeah, look, I, I don't have you, – you're probably not going to love my answer. I don't have a definitive, you know. Um, I can I can say in terms of my, my personal view, we, we obviously did quite well um, despite a lot of the um, up and down results we've had over the last couple of years. We also reached the furthest we'd, we'd ever had an Olympics yep. in the semifinal. We didn't come out with a, um, a bronze medal, but um, you really can't underestimate what it does for a team to break through the glass, the grass ceiling. I mean, when we first beat the US, that's that's been done now. Um, we've broken through to a semi-final now. So, uh, look, uh, in my view, we'd, we'd love to make a semi. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a, a long way to go prior to that. And I'd like to see us really perform well in these next five windows prior. So, um, yeah, it's it's probably not it's probably one for Tony or James Johnson. Yeah, no, um, no, a no conversation that's fine. between that's, them. But yep. even we made a semi at the Olympics um, and never made a semi in a in a World Cup. Um, that would obviously be the the benchmark. Well, in terms of off the pitch, Sarah, I heard you before, sort of um, you know talking about some of the exciting numbers in terms of uh, revenue, who the amount of people that might be watching, but also the, the other element to this is potentially the amount of people and players more specifically that hosting a Women's World Cup might bring into the game as well. Do you think that even though everyone is excited about this tournament upcoming, that we underestimate what kind of an impact this tournament stands to have at, at a grassroots level? Do you have any facts and figures about how many people you expect to be jumping on board the game as a, as a result of hosting the tournament? 
Absolutely, we do. That's that's all all um, outlined within our Legacy Twenty Three plan. Um, all we have to to go by, um, and there's not a lot of forthcoming information from previous World Cups, particularly Canada and France. Um, but you know, we've been preparing for this influx of interest for you know since we won the actual bid June 2020. Mm. We saw 20% uplift from the Asian Cup, but a men's Asian Cup is not a Women's World Cup. Mm. Um, we're also seeing, you know, one of Australia's most loved sporting teams is the Matildas. We cannot underestimate the impact that's going to have on the interest within our community clubs. So we're already doing the work to make sure that our, our community clubs are ready. We have close to 2,500 community clubs. We recently ran a national audit which called out um, – the fact that only 35% of our our clubs um, are considered inclusive for women and girls. So you're talking about um, facilities and so on. Facilities, so you yeah. know how mm. how the bathroom and yep. um, lock uh, the change rooms are set up. Correct. Um, you know access to pitches, irrigation. Um, you know the, the capacity of these these um, uh, facilities can actually hold, but really just the design of them. So thinking about all of this. Uh, we really need to re- reshape the face of our game to include women and girls and we're doing a significant amount of work with government, state government, um, and you would have seen, you know, we we talked about, uh, you know, our legacy plan has already been able to capitalise on $230 million uh, across federal and several state um, governments. So uh, we've got a, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of work, but there's still a lot to do in particular states. So we're, we're going to be very focused on making sure that we've got government and, and commercial supporting us on this journey. It sounds like there are so many things that are coming together. And, and I saw a call the other day for volunteers. So you, you need to get the volunteers ready also with a year There's to go. 5,000 of them. Apparently. Yeah, well, it'll be much, much yeah. more. I, I remember how many volunteers we needed to run the Olympic Games down under, mm. and that yeah. was uh, close to sixty thousand. So it's it's quite incredible. This is the these are the first steps, and uh, it's going to be a very. If you thought you weren't busy before, Sarah, uh, <laughs> there's so much more. Um, are there any plans? Um, um, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the latest news coming out of Asia. Uh, the Asian Cup could well be something that uh, you know the the government and Football Australia. Uh, choose to to bid for does that add more yeah. more pressure or more more challenges yeah well I, I know James Johnson um, was quoted in a couple articles yesterday about that and and it's definitely on the horizon but wow. it's um I, I think when uh, the way that we view it right there's obviously a lot of sports that are hosting major events but um, we really do see next year's event as one of the biggest events that we've had as a nation since the 2000 Olympics Um we really do. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. But it, the Women's World Cup is actually one of the major sporting events in the world, women or male, after the women, uh, after the Men's World Cup and after the Rugby Men's World Cup. The Women's World Cup is not far behind it. So the fact that FIFA are in town, they've set up a local entity, the fact that we're sharing with New Zealand, it's going to be very big. And we see it as a major stepping stone for this country uh, and particularly uh, federal and state government on the runway to 2032. Um, that's why we, we see it we see it important to get legacy right, um, building out the infrastructure to make sure that we're we're playing our part in the stepping stones um, on the journey to the to the next Olympics. Obviously the rugby have their World Cup and 
um, you know, any other major event, particularly in football, as we're talking about Asian Cup, uh, these are all, um, you know, parts of that broader picture that we're looking at. Look, as the head of uh, women's football um, and, uh, of course, the Women's World Cup legacy and inclusion, you've got plenty on your plate. We wish you every success. Please keep us posted as to how we're going uh, and uh, please pass on our best wishes to uh, all the members of the various teams, whether they're the young Matildas who are and have been really busy. And I can imagine this next generation or this next crop of youngsters who can see an opportunity only a year away. Have you got a a year, just before we let you go, one or two, are there one or two faces that you're excited about? I know you're excited about a whole bunch of players, but are there one or two that have really piqued your interest and might have something very special to offer? There's there's plenty. I mean, look at um, – and, and some are very obvious to, to, um, to many, but no, when I look I'm at – I'm asking Mary, you because I want to hear oh, you. I, I want like, to hear – no, no, I want to hear your excitement. If I hear it in you, you – I'll be I'll be chuffed. Let me put it I'm that way. I'm very excited by Mary Fowler. It's <laughs> um, I mean, who isn't? And I, and I know she's not a. She's still a young face actually. She's um, she's a superstar. She's a superstar. She's uh, she's one of the most complete players uh, I've seen in my time. Um, I can't think of a more complete player to ever have played for the Matildas. So I um, I say all that with with um, knowing that she has a lot of growth still. She's yeah. not the. You know, she's young and she has a lot of potential that I hope she meets. But yep. um, as I see it today, she is one of the most complete finishers, dribblers. Um, she's a visionary on the pitch. Oh, yeah. She sees a pass and lays it on footy. like very few people on the planet playing the game. It's great. The mentality. She has the, the determination. She has everything. So um, I'm just so excited by, you know, when we think about a legacy beyond Sam Kerr, I, I get quite excited by her. So. You bet. Uh, Sarah Walsh, we're going to talk to you before uh, uh, the Matildas play that game against Canada. You can bet your bottom dollar, so get ready. Good. Excellent. Thanks very much and all the best. Sarah Walsh, the the woman who's uh, very much on top of what's happening in women's football, and she's got uh, a number of commitments and a number of challenges ahead of her, but uh, she's focused. She's excited. And I understand the question you posed, uh, Lockie, uh, you know, what does Football Australia want? Let me just tell you, you don't put your hand up unless you think you can go deep. Right? Yeah. Now, whether you go all the way requires on a little bit of luck um, and and that wonderful wave of excitement that can captivate nations. And we saw it when Japan and Korea shared the, uh, you know, World Cup duties a number of years ago. Yes, that is true. And there were a lot of people saying, oh, what are these people thinking they're going to do? And they played some outrageously exciting football. That's true. Well, I'm glad you've used anything the, is possible. I'm glad you've used the phrases uh, captivating yep. and plays outrageously exciting football because those are two things that I, I did feel quite a lot last season about the uh, the Central Coast Mariners, George. Yeah, look, uh, they have been um, a revelation, and I don't think that's that's an unreasonable thing to throw out there. Nick Montgomery has done a damn fine job, but I want to know. What's coming next? Because there's a brand new chairman in town. Not a new sheriff, but uh, he's a new chairman uh, of the Central Coast Mariners. And boy, has he got a few things we need to ask him. Uh, Please welcome, for the very first time, I think, virginal first time on FNR, Rich Peel. Welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, look, for us, uh, whenever we get a chance uh, at Football Nation Radio to talk the, the game and to promote the various uh, clubs that make this game better and stronger, um, it's, a, it's a huge delight for us. And to know that you've got some big changes, you've got some, uh, some movement at the club as well, you've lost one of your top marquees. Only today we heard that he's, uh, for family reasons, has had to go back to uh, Central America. So we wish him and his family all the very best. But um, changing times, and you've just come on board as the new chair. What are the sorts of things that uh, excite you and uh, bring bring that passion out in Richard Peel? Uh, well, football in general. I'm a football lover from a long way back. I was born in Leeds, the same as uh, Nick Montgomery. Um Grew up to the sounds of uh, Ellen Road. I only lived about a, just over a mile away from Ellen Road. So, is that right? Yeah, my youngest memory is a uh, kid who's been at the uh, at the famous Ellen Road uh, for a reserve grade match, and all the great Leeds players: Billy Bremner, Peter Lorimer. Oh, wow. um, you just dropped a name, uh, Madeley. Rich, yeah. you just dropped a name, Peter Lorimer. There are a whole bunch of there. There are generations of young Australians and others around the world. Who who need to go to the video to see Peter Lorimer? We saw him, we saw him live, uh, and when he hit a ball, you know they say uh, he he gave it some. Um, he used to damage footballs. He used to damage stanchions at the back of the goals whenever he hit the ball. And crossbars you, you used to almost move. You you, you could you, you felt that they were moving. It's funny. Yeah. And it's funny how we yeah. went. Lorimer hit the ball, a dead ball, and it and it just went. Oh, please don't do it again. He was something. It was. It would be interesting to see Peter Lorimer striking a modern day football. Oh. That would be a. Oh. That would be a, it would a swerve, trip. It would swerve so, a mile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, listen. Back to your question. That's yeah. that's. That's that's ignited my passion. Um, my father's a obviously a passionate Leeds fan. Um, uh, I, you know, I'm branded by Leeds United. I've got a tattoo on my arm, so I, uh, um, you know, football is in my blood. It's, you're a, so you're a uh, marked man. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. It's, uh, look, I love football. I love football. I love. Um, I love where the game is in Australia. I think there's plenty of opportunity. Um, and in particular, you know, you mentioned Nick Montgomery. Um, I love what Nick and his assistant Serge and, and, and all the support staff uh, have done over the last couple of years at the Mariners, the amount of young players that they've brought through and the amount of young players that we've got coming underneath those guys. It's very exciting times for us. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, we have lost a couple of senior players um, for, uh, for for no, no other reason but family reasons and, yeah. and and um, but we have, you know, very exciting replacements uh, coming in in for them. So um, we're excited by the season ahead. And and how you know, long before next- you can let us know who's coming? <laughs> uh, look, there'll be. Yeah, you know, we've made a few announcements. Uh, and off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly who we have and haven't announced. But I can tell you that we'll be competitive next year. So well, um, you were extraordinarily know- competitive last year or last season. The thing that fascinated us was that. Uh, had it not been for a couple of moments, um, a little bit of luck, a couple of injuries, key injuries at critical times, you could have gone a whole lot further because you played some outstanding football throughout the season, throughout yeah. the season. Absolutely. In fact, we only lost one out of our last 14 uh, mm. um, competition games apart from the, the semi-final. And, 
you know, I don't like to make excuses, but no, no, no. We, we lost a very critical play for our club in Dan Hall for that, that semi-final game and um, we missed him badly. But um, look, that it was experience for a young team. Yep. Um, a lot of those young boys, you know, if you take uh, Matty Simon uh, out of our fold this year, I, I haven't done the average age, but I'm, I'm telling you it would probably be 22, 23. He'd almost be, uh, if you put him in a, in a box plot, he'd be in that sort of outlier. Kind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. You're right. If you take, if you take Matty out, uh, your, your average age comes down quite appreciably. Year, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, Maddie's uh, Maddie's obviously uh, uh, trying to uh, come back. He had a, a neck injury last year, as everybody knows, yep. and uh, missed the whole season. And we all thought that that would be the end. But Maddie's, uh, you know, signed up again, and he's he's started preseason training, and 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 he. I tell you, he looks he looks twenty five again, and hopefully he can get through uh, preseason, and uh, we can see. See him back on the park. He's got a little few boxes to tick before we see that. But mm. um, man, he uh, he even said to me yesterday. He said his legs feel amazing. He feels the year off has uh, has given him a new lease of life. Uh, wouldn't it be great to great to see Matty Simon uh, bustling uh, opposing centre halves again? That would be. Oh, he he uh, loves to bring the crowd he, back. <laughs> he actually he actually makes uh, defensive units very nervous. <laughs> Indeed, he um, does. Uh, you're a co-founder and director of the Collective Wellness Group, which means um, you've had years and years and years of uh, operating uh, health clubs around the country. So you understand fitness. You understand you know, you know, c- people coming back after a period away and, and feeling that freshness. We spoke to Sarah yeah. Walsh about uh, the challenges of players coming back from major injuries. Uh, and and other of our stars who have been uh, on the go for the better part of two years, you give them a break, and it can they can they can be almost a brand new player, can't they? Absolutely, and you know, look, today is very different from when I played football because we have we have amazing technology and sports science available. So you know, I've been in the fitness industry for thirty five years this year, and I've. I've trained myself, elite level athletes, um, you know, up to Olympic level, and. Um, Today, there's not a lot of guesswork involved with with looking after athletes. We have such great technology. I would say this, that I think it's a little bit underutilised in the A-League space at, at this stage, but um, we're certainly, um, you know, we know we have to produce at, at the Central Coast Mariners. We, with such a young squad, we have to produce the best athletes uh, that we can. We can't leave any stone unturned. So we, uh, as it's a passion of mine, we have invested quite heavily this year in the sports science side of our um, club. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll see the come round six, seven, eight. Hopefully you'll see some uh, people like uh, Jacob Farrell, who's an unbelievably defensive uh, footballer on the left-hand side there. Like, I think you'll see a you know, within another two or three months a totally different athlete uh, for players like that. So watch this space. So oh. what after uh, after seven or eight rounds, what kind of Garen Quall are we going to see? Yeah, good question. We, so we had a closed-door trial last <laughs> night. And, uh, and uh, man, I tell you, Garen looked great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. He he, just, he's, a speed, uh, he's a speed merchant, isn't he? Well, he's not just a speeder. There's speed merchants and then there's speed merchants with the ball. The guy oh, that's glides true. That's past, true. Uh, 
glides past defenders like uh, you know a knife, a hot knife through butter. He's uh, oh yeah, but he's got a long you know he's got a long way to go. You know that's why he's still in Australia at the moment. He's um, you know he knows that Nick and Serge have still got a lot of things to teach him, and he's you know I believe unbelievable impact player. Great young man. Mm. You know, his next step is becoming a 90-minute footballer. So he's he's still got a learning, you know, 17 years old still. You know, he's not even 18. So I, I was just going to say, he gave both the club and himself a fabulous showcase window when he played for the selector A-League side against Barca. You would have been enormously proud of him. I was proud, but I created too many headaches for me, mate. I had too many phone calls about uh, w- would we let him go? Would we I'm let sorry, him go? you're a chair <laughs> now. That's, that's what it means, Chairman. You, you, yeah, exactly. You have, to, you have a number of commitments and, and a, a number of different hats to wear when you're the chair yeah. at a football club. You're, you've got to be mentor. You've got to be a psychologist. You've got to be salesperson, marketing agent, and, and the person who answers the, the tough phone calls too. Yeah, yeah, true. I'll tell you, I, I will tell you this though. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the, the the team that we have around the club, you know, in the in the corporate office, yep. Uh, you know, marketing. They've just, done, they've just done an amazing job over the last couple of years, and on very tight budgets in very difficult circumstances. You know, they've done an amazing job to keep the club where it is. And on the football side, listen, I've. I've I've been coached by some of the best. I've been coached by Willie Wallace, David Pleat, uh, Frank Arrock, some of the some really good coaches. And I, I'm telling you, Nick Montgomery and and Serge, they're going to coach at the highest level on this planet. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So now, hence the reason why I'm uh, buoyant. I, I am buoyant, but you know, I'm already planning. I know that they're going to get big offers in three to five years' time, and and that's one of the reasons why I've, you know brought Luke Wilkshire in, who's a good friend of mine and I, someone else who I believe, you know, I believe Luke will one day coach the national team. Well, he, know, he knows the game and he's played around the world. Uh, a question without notice, uh, is it true that your son was one of the reasons why you said, let me get involved with the Central Coast Mariners? He's, he's, he's actually the sole reason. So he, <laughs> you know, he Tell me he, more, tell me more. Well, he came to us to 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 my wife and I at fourteen and said, "Can I finish school at an academy, a football academy in um?" What did you say, we, your wife? What did she say? She, we both said no. We both said, <laughs> smart, "Yeah, if, if you still feel that feel that way in twelve months' time, come back." And he did at fifteen, so we let him go, thinking it'd last three months. And a year and a half later, and through COVID, he was still overseas, and, and we were keen to get him back. So he came back for Christmas, and um. Ended up through Luke and uh, then Monty ended up training at the Mariners and they he impressed enough to basically get off at the final spot in the in in the full time academy. So uh, I didn't go there. I you know I was originally just there supporting my son through his football dream and and then Monty and I, you know, both born in Leeds, you know, realised our background was so so similar it was crazy wow you know both housing commission you know parents who worked extremely hard um you know i left school to play professionally obviously monty was a substantially better player than me i I don't i mentioned myself in the same breath as nick montgomery as a player but yeah just the link there came and i i started looking at the club and then I ended up speaking to Mike Charlesworth, who of course is a Leeds fan himself. And we had that common link and contrary to what people may think about 
Mikey. Uh, Mikey's a really good guy, a really good guy. Uh, you know, it's just that life has taken him to the other side of the planet and it's, I guess it's hard to keep the motivation uh, for a club and keep your finger on the pulse from, you know, 12,000 miles away. But, um, yeah, Mike and I got talking and, and, and then I, you know, agreed to fund the club for the next three years and and as, a, as long as I achieve certain KPIs, then Mike and I will become partners in the club and, and hopefully have a long-term relationship. So that's that's the plan. Well, that explains an awful lot of reasons why you are so excited and so buoyant and so committed to uh, supporting that crew in that club that has done already some wonderful work mm-hmm. and, and allowed everyone to have a good long look at the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, not only do you have a most, most picturesque uh, a playing uh, pitch. Yeah. Well, I was I was going to say Elland Road and uh, obviously, obviously the central the Central Coast Mariners Stadium is quite a charmed life for it, it is. comes it's, to a it's football a, stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit hey, different. listen, I, I I will tell you that you know there was a lot of you know investing you know substantial seven figures into a football club is is a, a decision that you don't take lightly. I, no. I don't know, no. but you know my wife does a lot of charity work um, for Bravehearts and she has her own. Own a charity that, that that raises money for survivors of child sexual abuse. So you know that money could have could have been utilised for uh, you know many other things. But uh, I decided to invest it into the football club because I believe in the long term. Um, I believe where the leg's going in Australia, but yeah. I will. I will tell you that the stadium was probably the clinching. I just love Central Coast Stadium. It is, oh, it's a beautiful stadium. It is just something about being there with, you know, we had 12, nearly 12,000 people there for our last home game and it, it's it's a really, really cool and exciting environment. And, and, and you know, I do hope to utilise the, uh, you know, more people we get to the grounds, I do hope to utilise, uh, you know, it, Expanding the the, the what the, the charity work that my wife does to via the football um, vehicle, so there is a an, a an alternate strategy there through the investment as well. So, yeah, exciting times, guys. Very exciting times. Yeah, well, Rich, it's it's fascinating to hear that arrangement that you've got, obviously, with Mike, because I think if there's one thing that we would always like to see more of and, and love to see more of in this case uh, in Australian football is people with that skin in the game, with it, you know, risks and sort the of passion. motivating and the passion. towards. Yeah yeah, 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 because you don't you don't make that sort of decision without the passion. But I, I guess the logical question from the information you shared with us is what what is what are those sort of goals over the next three years that you set for the Central Coast Mariners? We obviously see a fifth place finish in the most recent season um, you know, great chance for young players to come through and break out, and as we're seeing more uh, on a more increasing rate as well, uh, exporting those young players onto uh, to teams in the European stable as well. What are those sort of um, KPIs that you set for yourself and, and want to achieve with this, um, you know, three-year run with the Mariners and hopefully more? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is that the three-year is the agreement that Mike can have. I'm very confident that I'll hit the KPIs that Mike and I have set. So my my commitment today, I'm looking at this as a 10-year project. Mm. Um, so I, I am here for the long run. I'm committed to keeping the club on the coast. So that's the first thing I want to say is that any rumours that I you know, plan on taking this club back to Canberra or anything <laughs> like that are just false. That's just not the case. Good, but good. I have three really, really clear objectives uh, and I call them the, the three eights. The first thing is that 
I've set the objective next year for our 12 home games because we do take one game to a, a country location is that we have 96,000 paying customers across those 12 games, which means an average of 8,000 people per game. I know that's a, that's a big, big task for our team, but that's what we're, we're shooting for. And if we don't achieve it next season, I certainly believe by season two or three that we'll be achieving those sorts of numbers. So that's our first big objective. And the reason why that's important is when we're, when we're attracting an average of 8,000 people per game, it means that we're becoming a commercially viable um, uh, business, both for a- attracting sponsors and obviously we're generating money through gate taking. Yes. So that's, that's number one. The second one is that within three years and for the next seven years after that, while I'm committed, I've set the team the task of we need to sell $800,000 worth of talent to Europe every year. Mm-hmm. So, again, why that's a primary KPI is that if we are selling $800,000 dollars worth of talent to Europe every year, it means that our academy is producing top quality players. I, I was we just going to say, I was just going to say, that's not a fanciful number, by the way. No, uh, as a no. former, as a former president of South Melbourne, I was part of the, uh, oppor- uh, part of the crew that sold uh, Michael Petkovic, uh, who was then our mm-hmm. goalkeeper to one of the super clubs in Turkey, uh, Trabzonspor, and I think at the time it was seven hundred and fifty thousand Australian, sorry, US yeah. uh, at the time, uh, which was a substantial amount of money then. Uh, yeah, we're talking yeah. the we're talking the early two thousands. So um, to to think that you've put up a number like eight fifty, um, I think in this modern sporting uh, um, landscape, that's that's very achievable. It, I think it is achievable. That's in your, that's in your purview. Yeah, you, the one thing I would say is that uh, if you'd, you, you will find that the market today is a little bit lower than it has been previously for okay. us, you know, okay. for when Tom Logic and plays like that, uh, who went for nearly a million million dollars many years ago, like it is, it is a little bit harder. So sorry to interrupt, Richard. Is, is there a reason for that in in your experience? Because I think there are some who do feel that there are players that are coming through that are at that sort of uh, at that sort of level that we're selling on right now that maybe we're not getting enough um, extracting enough value for I, I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts and experiences as to why that that market isn't quite as high as it used to be I, I would encourage you to get a, a really smart guy like Paddy Dominguez one of the best agents on the planet or someone like that on to answer that one because let you mentioned my experience, Lockie, let's let's be real. My experience is is like five months in this space. Yeah. So I don't. While I've been a foot, you know, played at a decent level, and yep. I, you know, I'm a I'm a lover. Like running a football club, I, I'm not out of my depth, guys, because I've run many many businesses, and mm. you know, well, you, you've, run, and, you've run massive businesses uh, across yeah, the country. Yeah. For, yeah so our anytime fitness years. brand. Our Anytime Fitness brand has 570,000 members across Australia, which we're very proud about. So I've run decent-sized businesses, but I'm learning on the run in the football space, guys. So That's fair enough. Probably don't feel like I'm qualified to answer that, but I would say there'd be some sort of market forces. But, you know, that's it'll be a good question to ask a much more knowledgeable person than me. But back to my goals, my last goal, and probably the most important one is that within – by the end of a decade at this club, I want to be able to sit back and, and Nick and Serge and Luke 
and Andy Benal and I have the same objective here, and that is that we want eight Central Coast Mariners products playing in top leagues or have played in top leagues uh, throughout Europe. Mm. So the five top leagues in Europe, EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and... Yeah, so, yeah, that's Fantastic. our goal is that, you know, and if we can achieve that again, we know that we'll have, doing, we'll have been done, doing a lot of right things. But, um, you know, the immediate goal over the next couple of years is to, again, Nick and Serge have done an amazing job with the academy. Guys like Dan Hall, Jacob Farrell, Lewis Miller, Max Ballard, Harry Steele, all these players are products of, of the hard work of of well, the hard work those boys have put in, but also the hard work that Nick and Monty have put in. But I still think we can amplify and put more resources into our youth academy. And, and again, um, that's that's you know, I'm backing Luke to to um, utilize the additional resources and, and hopefully produce uh, the next next crop of players that are going to play firstly first team football for the Mariners, but then move on to big clubs in Europe. So that's our goal, guys. You also mentioned Andrew Banal in your crew. That's uh, yes. that's a name that knows the game. Andy's, uh, look, I don't know if you've read Andy's book, if you haven't. Oh, we know it. Andy. We know Andy long yeah. time. I'm, an, I'm a Sydney boy. Uh, yeah. Sydney Olympic was part of that uh, makeup, and uh, we know Andrew Banal's story. Uh, the book yeah. is is amazing. Uh, it should be a movie. Tell tell Andy that uh, George says it should be a movie. I I agree with you. I mean, <laughs> some of the stuff that and listen, there are another. There's another three books in that guy's head. Oh yeah, like he, some of the stories that he comes out with. Just just he, do me a favor. Don't put him anywhere near Ray Gat. Because okay. they'll write they'll write an encyclopedia I'll for have a trilogy. Yeah. Oh, your yeah, trilogy. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, Ray's so listen, another great character who loves who loves the club and loves the yeah. area and can see enormous growth and potential. So you're not you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, no, look, back to Andy, uh the the coaching staff and, and uh and the players just love the guy. He's he's the most enthusiastic uh you know, human on the planet. He's um he has a unique ability to make people push themselves out of their comfort zones and want to do it. He's, uh, he's a really big asset to our, um, to our club and, and uh, working, working uh, his uh, backside off at the moment to uh, um, make better players. So, yeah, no, he's a, and a great guy, a great guy. We're talking to Richard Peel, who's the new chair, the new chairman of the Central Coast Mariners, uh, a businessman in his own right, knows his way around uh, the health and, uh, and wellness business uh, for the better part of the last thirty years, but as as you've uh, as you've heard and as he's told us, he's uh, he's got um, he's new at this caper, but he's got enormous focus and passion to make it work. And like many of his other businesses, um, uh, we can see it happening. There is an enormous nursery in that area of New South Wales, uh, and Rich, I'm sure you're right across that. And uh, we wish you uh, enormous success. I, I just want to ask you a big question. You've got an Australia Cup game coming up against a little-known club called yeah. Sydney FC. Never yeah. heard of them. How, how are you coping with the uh, prep? Listen, we've been back for eight days, and that's why we had a closed-door game last night, just to get some uh, yep. kilometres underneath the legs of the players. Yep. Um, 
we'll, we'll be competitive. We'll be competitive and, and we, we, wanna, we, we hope to go deep into the competition. Um, but I'm sure Sydney are the same as us, that it's, it's impossible to physically have players anywhere near their peak fitness at, you know, at that stage of the season. I, I, um, I, I don't discount what you're saying, but I also should also tell you, and you know this from uh, other sources as well, Sydney are going through a massive rebuild. Mm, yep, right? yep. As, and Nick, as, Nick has got much of your crew and, and club just where he wants it, correct? Yeah, I think that's fair yeah. to say. With one or two exceptions. Yeah, with one or two exceptions, you know, um, losing Mark Birrigetti at the stage of the season that we did, um, you know, we've we've got Yaron Sosa in there who's who's hasn't played a lot of uh, football the last couple of seasons because yep. of being you know, basically a second keeper. So you know, are we where we want it? Are we where we will be at the start of the season? Not even close. Mm-hmm. But look. We'll be competitive. The one thing I can guarantee you that is the game. There will be a strong game plan there. The players will know, you know what that game plan is, and and you know that one of the big benefits, guys. Like I said, when you've got an average age of you know twenty two, twenty three, <laughs> we will be extremely enthusiastic. Uh, we will. There'll be no lack of uh, enthusiasm. We've got some great new players in there that are, you know want to make their name. Uh, Sammy Silvera is back at the club, mm. which we're excited about. Um, Michael Ruse, who looks, you know, like a like a beast last night. He he looked fantastic. <laughs> so, and a couple of other players from uh, um, the Wanderers and a few a few other clubs. So yeah, look, we we want to win the game. Let me tell you that we want to win the game. So. So fingers crossed. That's uh, that's what happens. Was, was that twenty two or twenty three years old squad average with or without Matt Simon? I'm interested <laughs> to know. No, we, we're taking Matty out of there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was going to say because we day. took him out. It'd be down to like nineteen, twenty. Yeah. Which would just something be, like that. Yeah. 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 I, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, just a little bit about Mark Birrigetti because obviously he is the the second player now in this off season that we've seen go across from. Rich, be very careful. He's a Scottish boy, from, so he's okay. buoyant. He is buoyant now. From the, well, yeah. it's funny because you would uh, when we were listing off Leeds players earlier, you you went down a different route. To yeah, me. I correct. was like, immediately yeah. like, oh wow, well, Billy well, Bremner. Yes, yeah, that's yes, amazing. But, you, but you're you're not old enough to remember no, those great names and those superstars of Leeds time. But, but Birrigitte, go yeah, on, continue. Uh, Mark is, is the second player, obviously, to make that move across to the Scottish Premiership in this offseason. We saw Kai Rolls obviously secure a deal with Hearts. When you've got those sort of... Um, third one. Third, third Lewis one. Miller as Yes, well. of course. Lewis as well off to Hey, he, hey off Aaron Moy's gone to Celtic too, boys. No, I'm, I meant <laughs> from that Central Coast <laughs> sorry, Mariners I'm sorry, I'm nursery sorry. specifically, Just being of course. a disruptor. Lewis as well with that, that brief little, uh, little detour to, to McCarthy as well but when you've got the kind of ambitions that that you do in terms of the the on selling of of players to those important leagues bringing in certain um you know revenue targets that sort of thing it must really really uh please you to have this sort of um burgeoning trade partnership between a pathway. between a a, australia and scotland uh you know opening up in front of your eyes yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and and look the uh, it's no secret that uh Luke is uh, good friends with Craig Moore, uh, Nick. Mm. So he's Nick Montgomery, and 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 I have a, a good friendship with Craig Moore as well. And Craig's well and truly embedded in the uh, in the agents uh, world in Scotland. So he's a great link for us there. And there will be definitely other players yeah. from our club in the next twelve months heading over over that way. As you guys know, 
it's easier to get to to for an Australian kid to play in Scotland. It's it's uh, because of the FIFA rules around going to the UK uh, straight to an English league. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why a lot of them end up there. Right. I'll make this prediction, guys. Go. go. I believe, and I honestly believe this, that both Lewis Miller and Kai Rolls will play in the English Premier League. I reckon Kai Rolls will probably play left-back somewhere, and I reckon that uh, Lewis Miller will play at least championship, high-level championship team, but possibly in the in the premiership. Well, they are both well, they, they haven't disgraced players. us at Socceroo level yet, have they? No, I mean, Kai Rolls was outstanding. Oh, just those, fabulous. Uh, well, and, and, and I, I, Rich, want you to be right because as a, as a Hearts fan, <laughs> Kai Rolls moving on to the Premier League means very good results for me. So no no complaints at all. Yeah, yeah. Look, and and some people have mixed opinions about us selling players. The reality is that the Central Coast Mariners, with our budget, we have to sell players. That's yep. part of our DNA and it always will be. But, you know, it's like... Any business that I'm involved with, it's you know future planning is important. Oh, so yeah. when, we, when we know, for instance, that Jacob Farrell is most likely to get reasonable offers within the next 12, 18 months to two years, you know, it's important that we are working very hard to have mm. the next one or two left fullbacks coming through our ranks. Mm. So you know we've got good strategies around identifying the players that we think are going to move on. The, the other one who I think will go to a decent league in Europe is Max Ballard. I think he's, I mean, watch him this year, guys. I think he's a special talent. Um, so, you know, we're, we're already, uh, you know, Monty blooded uh, a young Max Middleby in the closed door. Any relation to Robbie? Yeah, Robbie's son, Robbie Middleby's son. Um, so, so plenty of DNA is what you're saying. Yeah, DNA, a v- great young player, great young person, um, you know, 17 years old and he got 15 minutes in in that game. And, um, you know, there's plenty of others around that age that we know will will uh, step up to that mark. So that's the DNA of our club and it is, as long as I'm involved, that's what we'll, that's, mm. we'll continue to have that that focus of bringing young players through. So, Well, we started this uh, conversation by introducing uh, the new chairman of the Central Coast Mariners, uh, Rich, Richard Peel, or Rich Peel, and uh, very quickly we, we got to understand just how many hats do you wear, Rich? <laughs> uh, not only you. promoter, not, not only salesman, not only uh, the man who cares about uh, protecting and future-proofing the club for what uh, looks like the next decade. But um, we wish you and that's current crop under Nick and co uh, every best opportunity. And uh, let's hope that uh, the injury curse that has knocked so many of uh, your players over the last half a dozen years doesn't rear its ugly head. And uh, if it does, you get them back on the pitch ASAP. Yeah, listen, guys. Thank you for uh, inviting me on, and congratulations on a great show, too, guys. It's um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be uh, to be a guest on your show. So, Rich, just um, as you have put in a lot of work to get the club and your businesses to function, FNR has been uh, looking to do one thing for the better part of the last five years. And that's to be the voice of the game and to promote the game at every opportunity. We have a young crop of broadcasters, male and female, and all they want to be is better. Just like your team, uh, your, your, your young uh, uh, players there, they want to be better at what they do and they, they too aspire to go up to the next league and beyond. So it's a two-way street. 
Good on you, mate, and good luck to all those young people and uh, keep doing a great job, guys. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rich. Rich Peel from Central Coast Mariners. Oh, there and, you go. And you look, feel better? And like Rich, I, I also hope that we can get six-figure sums out of our young talents here at Football Nation oh, I think it's. I think it's the next most logical step. I see a World Cup uh, within a year. I see um, uh, the Women's World Cup demanding and uh, requiring uh, young talent to promote it mm. and to and to not only broadcast it and also uh, carry the stories. So we have a role to play. Absolutely. I tell you what was really interesting about about that discussion with 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 Rich as well. It, it's funny because he, he sort of ended the the discussion by talking about how maybe some clubs perhaps look down on or or judge the Central Coast Mariners for being that sort of selling club. I look at that completely differently. That's I look good. at I look at the Central Coast Mariners model, what they're doing, what they're setting themselves up to do with exporting more of these young players out. And I'm thinking, you guys have anyone who's looking at the Mariners as going about it the wrong way have got it all wrong. I, I believe oh, more clubs. Central Coast Mariners, it's great that we have this talent exporting club with such a high volume of, of hits and transfer fees. I don't want one. I want two or three. I don't want to see the same other clubs signing the same A-League players who have been through a number of teams. I want to see more of these kind of players. I want to see these players unsold. We need more of the Central Coast Mariners model, not less, in in my view. 100%. uh, uh, South South Melbourne um, in the late 90s uh, and early 2000s had pitched themselves as that modern club uh, to go full professional and also Mm. to look at becoming the nursery for Australia to create young talent and promote it and let it go around the world. Uh, to some degree, they did. Um, but, of course, uh, they got knocked around by that move from the old NSL to the A-League. And, of course, that created enormous uh, upheaval. Mm. But had it been allowed to continue, you would have seen them doing very much what the Central Coast Mariners are fashioning mm. uh- and, and and looking to do more often than not. And I don't see any negatives whatsoever. If you aspire to be the best young talent you can be, and say, for example, you're a baseballer, uh, if you think you can make a career for yourself in Australia, so be it. But you know where I'd be hoping? I'd be wanting to play in the biggest leagues in the world, and that is well, across the world in America. I think it also makes... Uh, yeah, and I so think it why, also... So why not football? I agree. And I think it also makes a difference from a fan perspective as well, because compare the pair here, George. Do you want to have that opportunity for when a, for the sake of argument, Garan Quoll goes on to play for... Wherever, whatever. Borussia Dortmund, just as a random example. Do you want to have that chance to bump your mate at Amy Park and go, I was there. I saw him when he was here at the Central Coast Mariners and now he is at Borussia Dortmund against saying, oh, I was there when this player played for their sixth A-League club and did... You, know, okay. you, you and your father, a long-time heart, Melbourne heart and Melbourne City, so you understand some of the young talent that's come through the door. Genro, mm. uh, Azani, uh, young Marco Tilio. Yeah. Nothing more exhilarating as a football yeah. fan, in my opinion, to be sitting there and to see some, this beautiful yeah. and most tantalising How- talent s- make an appearance and... Just capture your imagination. Yeah. How, how much better? And then you is watch it, them grow. How much better is it to get in the ground floor and say I was there oh, than just to see the same player in a different best, shirt? Best thing in the world. Best thing in the world. Okay. Um, let's talk about this again next week when uh, we uh, join you on FNR. 
uh, Lockie Flanagan, George Danikian. It's been State of Our Football Nation and two very special guests this week. And our thanks to Sarah Walsh from Football Australia, who has an enormous role to play as the uh, head of women's football uh, and a wo- women's World Cup just mm. around the corner. And, of course, the new man, the new chairman of the Central Coast Mariners, who is really getting himself ready. He's gearing up for what promises to be an exciting season uh, under their coach, Nick Montgomery, who did such a great job last year. And his lieutenants are all, you know, salivating at the prospect and the opportunities that lie ahead. And we wish them well when they take on Sydney FC, I think it's next week, at Mm -hmm. Leichhardt. And Mm -hmm. we'll follow that and see how they come up. So there you go. Richard Peel, the chair of Central Coast Mariners, giving a behind-the-scenes look at what promises to be uh, uh, an exciting journey in 2022-23 and more importantly giving us a sense of what the club is thinking of doing over the next decade. Yeah, it's exciting. It's nice to have that level of insight. Correct. Catch you next week. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.